Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. We're joined this week by Lisa Cummings. Lisa is a brilliant speaker and founder of Lead Through Strengths. She's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to leveraging your strengths for optimal results. We're going to discuss the greatest misconception with managing our strengths and weaknesses for success, how knowing your strengths can impact your performance with team members, and how to quickly uncover your own strengths to better manage results. You're going to learn a ton with Lisa Cummings. Lisa Cummings, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be a repeater. You know what? You know you're good if you've, if you've been asked back, and in your case, this is your third time to be back on the show, so I'm guessing by next time you'll be hosting the show and I'll be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly an honor. Well, it only shows that your top 10 business trends for 2016, when I was first chatting with you about this, came true because we had about 15 million people who had done StrengthsFinder at that time, and now we're at about 22 million. Wow. Wow, that's a that's a that's a pretty remarkable trend to see. So, start by sharing with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know. Well, I think that they might be surprised to learn that I just recorded a first album that is coming out as a drummer and a singer of the band Spiral Mischief. So, if they're listening to this anytime January 2020 or later, there you go. There's a whole new layer of me out there being a rocker. So cool. So cool. And I, I grew up playing drums. And so seeing you playing in a band, there are times where I think to myself, man, why did I stop doing that? And then I remember the several reasons why, but, um, but I still miss it from time to time. Do you miss schlepping the drums from gigs? No, but you know what? If I did it today, I would use electronic drums because... I just wouldn't want to schlep and I remember too much. And I used to have a big drum set with double bass and all sorts of different stuff. And um, this is when I was in high school and college and it got to the point where our band was successful enough that people would say, Hey, can we like be your roadies? And we're like, well, we don't really need roadies. What would roadies do? We would carry your stuff. And we're like, um, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So yeah. you, like you realize we wouldn't pay you. Oh yeah, we know. That's even better. Sure. You carry our stuff and set it up. We'll show up and you don't get paid. This is awesome. So um, that's, that, that's something that I haven't been able to replicate in business, but it was great. That's exactly what I was thinking. Every leader listening to this is like, oh, we need business roadies out here. Come exactly. on. Now, and we also need a show notes photograph of you from those days. And that's the other thing they were thinking just then. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can find that. You know what? There is a video somewhere that I got to find that of, of my band playing in, uh, in a bizarre venue. But um, I'll have to find it. It's funny because most of the people I played with are professional musicians now. In fact, one of the guys who I, I played in a band with is now Alice Cooper's drummer. 
and I'm Glenn nice. Sobel. So occasionally he'll he'll be coming through the DC area and I get a note from him. Hey, do you want to come out of the show? And it's invariably I'm somewhere else speaking. So I haven't had a chance to take him up on it. Not that I'm a big Alice Cooper fan, but I'm guessing it'll be a different experience backstage than it would be out front. So um, I think it'd be pretty cool. And yeah. everybody loves Nita Strauss right now. So you would get to see her rocking it out on guitar for him. <laughs> so it's all the important stuff. And and though many people may be thinking, well, gee, I wonder if this is why Ian has Lisa on the show. What I want to talk about is what's the greatest misconception that people have when it comes to managing success in sales, when it comes to people's strengths and weaknesses? Well, instantly what comes up when the concept of Clifton strengths or managing to strengths is people will think, uh, if we are focused only on their strengths, then we're ignoring their weaknesses and we're giving them an excuse to be lazy and kind of shirk the part of the responsibilities they don't want, like in entering their information in Salesforce or something like that. And that's not what it is. It's not an excuse to be lazy. So I think that is the big one is it, it's like people first hear it and think there's an assumption that it's this or that, that yeah. it's not a, con, a, a collaborative way to bring those two things together in alignment. But, but the idea of Clifton strengths is that instead of where historically people had said, well, what are you good at? What are you not good at? And now let's spend all of our time, energy, and resources working on the stuff that you're not good at. Instead, this whole idea of managing through strengths is, is the notion of how do I actually maximize or leverage people's strengths to get the most out of them? Can you talk about that a little bit? And also feel free to correct me where I'm totally wrong. I love how you said it. And I'll even, I'll give you an example because it just is making, I'm, my, my brain is on rock music right now because you said Alice Cooper, we talked about my band. <laughs> so it made me think of this salesperson that I worked with on strengths coaching and he leads to this positivity talent theme and the positivity talent theme. It's a relationship building theme. It's great for building rapport. It makes him fun loving. It's very disarming for early those early calls where they're often awkward for everyone else. And so this guy that I'm thinking of, he loved Guns N' Roses and he made an opener out of it. So when he allowed himself to work through his strengths, instead of doing calls like everybody else does the calls, he, he made this, um, I'll call it an opener. It's kind of like a wordplay where he would say, what does Guns N' Roses have in common with your SQL servers? You know, just pick the thing that he loved and then some snippet about their business that made it all about the business. It made him relatable. It made them curious. Of course, it makes you think, what is this going to be about? That could have been a voicemail he left. That could have been an opener and a phone call. But he loved it because it was very disarming for people. It put the conversation right in his strength zone, but it was still all about the customer. And it made him effective because he got to be him and live in his zone of genius. And that's all he needed. Once he was in, he was always great because he was so good with relationships, but doing that awkward intro to a prospect that he's never met before was always the tough part for him. And so suddenly just unlocking that little element of his strength, instead of operating out of the templated version that they had in the past, game changer. So, so in essence, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, that part of the, part of the benefit is that if you can tap into and better understand the strengths of different people on your team, you'll start to realize that, look, it, 
this isn't cookie cutter. Everyone's got their own personality. They have their own attributes and strengths. So for example, I'll often talk to people and they say, oh, well, the reason why so-and-so is so successful is because they are a master of all the details and all the minutia and all the information about this. And then they'll say, but our other top performer, he's really great, but he's not good at the details at all. In fact, he's terrible. And this other top performer we have, what makes her so remarkable is that not only is she not good at the details, she doesn't care about the details. And she's convinced that it's about this other thing. And managers are left saying, well, then what is our key to success? So how do you reconcile that when you have three people with totally different approaches that are all successful? Yeah. I, I mean, the reconciliation is that each person's difference is their differentiator. And if you get your head around that as a sales leader, then you think, okay, well, now I have to mine for their differences and the thing that makes them awesome, the thing that puts them in their zone of genius. And if I can focus my coaching on that, in addition to all the normal stuff you do, like if you point it at the results you want, let's say you're doing update meetings and you're talking about um, all of the normal metrics that you would talk about in a, a Monday meeting update, but now your coaching is more focused on, okay, now how do I pull out of this person the moments when they've been, you know, really successful? So for example, if you're, if a salesperson on the team just had a really great week and you're like, okay, what was different about this week? What, what really helped you do well on this round of calls? And then the person says, oh, oh, I lead through the focus talent theme. And so I really like to just, you know, get in my cave for one hour and block it out. I got this Pomodoro timer and I'm doing these 20 minute call cycles and I'm challenging, challenging myself to just not do any interruptions. And I, and I have a power hour for, um, for calls. And it could be something that simple where someone figures that out or if the leader figures it out and says, okay, this person leads through learner. How, how am I going to coach to that? Oh, well, look, it makes the person really curious. It makes the person really inquisitive. So now as a leader, I can say, all right, if you were going to be the best in the world at asking great questions, what kind of questions will you ask next week? And then it gives a person a different challenge and it's a way of applying something. It'll be fun for them. It's like the fun challenges. Whereas in the reverse, if you take the person who hates the details and you're like, hey, you're not very good at the details. So therefore, I'm just going to make you <laughs> practice the details as much as possible and take all the calls where customers demand and want the details so that you can just get used to it. Well, obviously, that's never going to feel this great. This person, person will eventually become a former employee. <laughs> exactly. One way or another. Exactly. Like when I look at your talent themes, I imagine activators, an easy example. Activators all about, yeah, let's go now. Let's go now. And if your company, when you were in sales way back when, if they were like, hold on, hold on. It's a complex sale. There's a lot to this. Don't get so antsy, Ian. We need to do a bunch of research before you reach out to them. We have these other 10 steps that need to happen before you take action. So just sit back for a minute, be patient. Well, that's going to be hell for you if that activator talent theme can't just say, yeah, let's get this thing rolling. Let's get I'm very much a ready, fire, aim type person. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and let's, let's talk about that. So there are, there are obviously different strengths. Are there certain strengths that you would say, look, if someone is in a sales role, these are a handful of strengths that will really serve them well, which, by the way, is different than – 
gee, here's a certain strength that would mean that you're going to suck at it. But my guess is there are certain attributes or strengths that lend themselves well to certain types of activities. Yeah, you know, it's this has been one of the biggest areas of surprise for me as I've been implementing this over the years. I will make some guesses before I go into a team. And it's basically a hypothesis. Like, you know, what are the top performers going to look like? Is there a specific profile? And yeah, there are some really deep consulting engagements you could do with Gallup in order to get to some of the pre-employment templatizing sort of stuff where people like to say, what do, what do the top performers look like? But at a basic level, no, it's really amazing. But I'll walk into a room and I'll think, oh, look, it's a room full of accountants. They're going to have a lot of thinking talent themes and a lot of executing talent themes to get it done. And then it doesn't look like that. And then the next team might, and then the next team won't. And they're all in the same industry doing the same function. What is so magical about Clifton Strengths, in my opinion, is that they tell you how you can have some easy buttons for getting the job done, not what job you should do. So this is why I think it's so powerful from a leadership perspective, because you can look at your team and you're like, okay, we kind of have the formula for success. If you make this many calls and you uh, go through this training program and you apply these techniques and you use our framework or our models, we can get people to a pretty decent level of success. And that decent level of success is there. But then say, all right, what, what else now? Why do all these top performers look so different? Well, Clifton Strengths unlocks this idea of what are the easy buttons for each person. So you don't have to be a fortune teller. You don't have to be a mind reader. It seems like a lot to customize if you have a large team. But when you have these words in front of you that open up the conversation about what puts them at their individual best, now you have clues about how to set them up for success and how to coach them toward their strengths versus coach them so let's, toward so let's their weakness. Go, let's go through some examples of different strengths profiles that people might have and then how we coach those people through to success. And let's face it, some people could be managing themselves and saying, okay, how do I focus myself if I have this profile versus that profile? Yeah. And you, and you can pick apart my profile or whatever works for you as an example, but just to give an idea of different ways that people with different profiles can still achieve success. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a couple. Let's take um, competition is in your top five. So it'll be fun for listeners to hear about you and competition. And that is one that I would say when people ask, is there a template for the kind of profile that would look best for the ideal salesperson? Competition always comes up as the, wouldn't that be perfect for a salesperson? And then let's, after that one, I'll do something like maybe includer where it would be less obvious and it might people think, oh, I don't know, are they going to, if I have Includer in my talent theme, is my team going to think I'm too soft for sales? That sort of thing. So if we started with competition, this talent theme is all about relative comparison. And this one's really great for getting at the motivators. They like to win. They like to help other people win. They like to be part of winning teams. So just because you lead through competition doesn't mean, you know, I want to win and I want to take you down. It, it in its mature form, it's really great at lifting other people up. I think you're a great example of that. You even bring on people who might sound like they're your competitors onto your show, but if they have a, kind of a 
an aligned way of thinking about the world, you put them on and you prop them up because everybody does it a little differently. So that's a great example of competition at its best, where it's, I want to win. I want you to want, I want you to win. And so if you're focused on metrics and numbers and where you are and whether you're considered a top performer or not, that's going to be a big driver if you lead through competition. So if I'm managing that person, I am totally focused on team metrics and KPIs and whatever the thing is for the team. It could be, uh, do, it, are you um, closing the most deals or do you have the best ratio or um, even on some some teams, it's things like you know, who does the most outbound phone calls, whatever that thing is for that team. If there's a way to track it and put it in public, like happens on many sales teams, that's that's often fun for somebody who leads through competition to try to be at the top of that. Oh yeah, list. and 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 in fairness, it's like if I speak at a conference, um, you know, it's it's not a proud moment, but I will tell you that. So I look at, gee, I want to see how my scores are, and I'd really like to know how it compares to the other speakers, <laughs> and and I don't do a victory dance when it's like when I was the highest rated speaker but I may do like a, a quiet in private victory dance. And by the same token, if somebody didn't score that well, my immediate thought is I wonder what sort of input I can give that person. So they do better the next time out. Oh my gosh. You, you're making me think of so many things right here because one, I'm thinking of the raw version of a talent theme and the mature version of a talent theme. So the raw version might be the victory dance that is, you know, like end zone showing off kind of style, but the victory dance that is like, okay, I know I needed to know for me that I'm rated at the top. And if I get told too many times that I wasn't the top rated speaker, I better be figuring out how to step my game up. So it's this really powerful internal motivator. But then the way it looks on the outside is exactly how you were describing the nuance of where the victory dance happens, whether it's a little dance in your head or whether it's a little, you know, yeah, in your face kind of thing to your competitor. That's the difference between one, a talent that's developed well and matured well or not. And so then what you brought up for me as you gave that example is that sometimes these might even show up and appear on the surface like they're someone's weaknesses because they haven't been matured. They haven't been coached to. So maybe somebody has the volume dial cranked up to 11 because we need a spinal tap reference right about here because we've been talking about <laughs> rock music. Um, maybe they have that thing cranked up all the time to volume 11 and they need to figure out how to modulate it for different situations, for different customers, for different industries. And that's where when you get to coaching to strengths, it's really fun because you can help someone see, okay, little too much of it here. Turn it up all the way over here. This is where it's lo really looking great on you. But being able to get the coaching to hone those skills, a lot of times people are able to take something they've been told their whole career was a weakness. And it was really just a misapplied strength. They're a little bit of an overused strength. And once, once they can redirect it and hone it in, it starts looking really amazing. So it's just tuning it. So, so you mentioned the idea of, of the, the, the competition um, profile or indicator, and then the includer as another example. Yeah, let's take includer. So I'm using that as an example of one where someone might say they get that it shows up in their top five in their report and they think, oh, that one's going to feel, it's so relationship focused. 
let me stop and give you a definition. Um, the includer talent theme is one where when people lead through this, they're really excellent at seeing whose voice hasn't been heard. And so at its good, in its great form, imagine this in a selling environment, you might be the person who always knows that no matter what you're getting told, you know whether this person really is the decision maker or if there are more voices that need to be heard and they're great at uncovering the voices that need to be heard. And when they're in person in a meeting and they're watching the reactions and they can tell someone has something to say or ask, they're the one who will say, hey, Joe, what do you think on this topic? Instead of letting it pass by and letting that person feel like they're not being seen or heard or appreciated. And so this is a relationship-driven talent theme that's extremely powerful, especially in an in-person environment when they can see the reactions of people who want a voice or need a voice or have a voice, but they're not expressing it out loud in front of you because you're on the sales team. When it's received by people in a report, if they're like, uh, well, that one sounds kind of soft. It sounds like I just want to make sure that everybody comes together in a kumbaya. If you get a perception like that when you first receive your results and then decide, well, I'm going to squash that down. That's probably not going to serve me too well in my sales job. I'm going to ignore that one and focus on all the other ones. Oh, what a lost opportunity. So all of these, there are 34 potential talent themes and all of them could be used for good in a role. They could all be used like an easy button to get whatever result you want because they really are the way you work, the way you think, feel, or act when you're at your default. Sure. So that's just, that comes up all the time. There will be whatever word of the day that when someone sees it, they think, eh, that one just doesn't sound good for this team culture. That doesn't sound like the one that my leader would think is a good one for me for what they're trying to do with the team and therefore they shut it off. But then when you shut it off, you're not letting it mature. You're keeping it over there in raw zone. So it's not getting used at its best. And then maybe it even shows up as a weakness because it's not coming out well. And Lisa, a lot of the people listening are in complex sales environments where there are multiple people involved. And so sometimes you have people who have an affinity for detail and sometimes you have people who have, um, who just absolutely repel any idea of detail. And so how do you in a team selling environment manage these strengths so that way you're putting the right people and pulling the right resources in at the right time to best help your chances and best convey ideas to your clients? Yeah. If, if you're on a team that has a complex selling environment and you're a big enough team that you might actually have multiple people involved internally in the selling process, well, then it gets really fun because in the example you just gave, I'm going to pick one that is in your top five strategic. It's a big picture thinking theme. It is zoomed out. I see the patterns. I see the quick options. I can make choices quickly and move on it. I can simplify the complex, those kinds of things. And then let's take one like deliberative. This is also one that looks to the future just like strategic does, but it's more like the risk manager. It's going to get into the details and it's going to be one where they carefully think through the factors and they look at the downstream effects to understand what could go on to be able to make an informed decision that's a little bit more prudent and carefully considered. Well, imagine those two talent themes, they could be like, if you were the lead on a sale where you know that the person 
who you're meeting with, your prospect really values big picture thinking. And they're like, shoot me straight, give it to me short. Well, hey, Ian's your guy. He leads through command so he can say it short. He leads through strategic. So it's going to be a zoomed out overview kind of version, 30,000 foot view kind of thing. And then if they, if you <laughs> uncovered the notion that, oh no, this prospect is really in the weeds, very operationally focused, really concerned with the details, wants to make sure that you're not bluffing and that you're not just in there giving them the wah, wah, wah kind of overview that they want to hear. They want to test you. They want to get into the details. They're going to ask you really specific technical questions. Well, sending Ian in there might not be a great idea. He might be like, oh man, the details, <laughs> that's not so fun for me. So now you're not going to prep for that call very well because you're not that into it. You're not going to look great when you're in person because you don't know the answers. So it would tell you something about who you might partner with when you have those kind of details. If as a sales leader, you start to see your lineup like this and you could do team selling where you're arranging the teams in advance, where you're trying to get certain angles covered that happen all the time. You could have the couple of people who partner really well together and they play, you know, this and that depending on what the prospect wants. So depends on whether you're able to just make team assignments in general, or if you're going to do it by deal, but these are perfect. When you get to know a little bit about your prospect, then you could do this based on the talent themes and what you know would be fun. Yeah, and I'm guessing involved. for many organizations, if they really did an objective look at their team, um, I, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm curious from you, what percentage of the time when you work with a team, do you realize that people have just been, you know, what percent of the people have been put in roles or given primary responsibility for things that just don't align well with their strengths? Oh, it's all over the place. You know, sometimes I'll walk in and they'll go, yeah, I'm, I'm at 60, 40. It feels decent. Other people will be like, oh my God, I built a career brand around something that I'm totally competent in, but I hate doing it and it sucks my soul. Yeah. And I mean, it really is all over the place, but it is a rare situation that I walk in and we've had open conversation with the leader and with the team members about where they would love to spend most of their time. The reason why I think that happens so often is that it feels like a high risk move. Like if you went in, let's say you were in a highly technical sales role and it was in, important for you to have sales engineer level information at your fingertips. I'm going to say fingertips, like it's in your brain and you needed to know deep subject matter expertise on a topic. And that's not sounding like a fun kind of role to you, but you have a decent level of knowledge because you've been in the industry for a while and you can do it because you're a smart person and you can do it because you can put in the work, you can put in the hustle and do all of that sort of stuff. So you could get there, but it's not like it's going to be fun ramp up. It's not going to be fun getting there. So you're not going to be energized by it. And it's, and it's going to show when you're talking to customers. So this is what I see happen more often, where if you're in that position and the role is designed in a way that feels like it, every, all roads lead to your non-strengths, you just don't say anything about it. You just put your head down, use brute force, and you just suck it up and you get it done, but it drains you. Sure. Whereas the teams that are open, where it's not high risk to say, oh, I really love the high level conversation or I really love this element of the conversation. 
that's where you see an energized, engaged team where they do the extra stuff and they really show up and impress the people that they're. Yeah. yeah. So, so where should people start? So if, if, if someone's listening right now and says, yeah, there's certain stuff that I do that just is a drain and sucks my will to live. And then there's other stuff that really is empowering and invigorating for me. And I love doing it. How do, how do they put their finger on the pulse of, of what might be driving that? Yeah. Well, first step, I mean, this is very simple. Let's just get real simple and raw, get a piece of paper, put a line down the middle, write down fuels on one side, drains on the other side, and just leave it out on your desk for the week. And every time something is sucking the life force out of you, put it in the drains. Even if it's something like, oh my God, I have to respond to these emails and I hate email. Or if it's something as deep as, oh man, the the final phases of a deal are the ones where I tend to lose all my energy. Why is that? I don't know. But at the beginning, I'm always fired up. And then by the end, I'm feeling lackluster about it. I don't really know why yet. The first step is just figuring out what the fuels are and what the drains are. So that's what I would do. Track it for a week. And then if you want some extra fodder behind it on my website on leadthroughstrengths.com slash yucks and leadthroughstrengths.com slash yays, you can get that same kind of vibe where you look at a list of yays. They're like, yeah, if I could spend my days or my weeks filled with these kind of activities, yep, I'm on fire. I'm in my flow. And then on the yucks, yeah, this is the stuff that sucks the life force out of me. It's a good prompter to get people's list going as well if they're, if you're, if they're not actually going to follow through with tracking it for a week. And is leadthroughstrengths.com the best place for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? I'd say the very best place is probably LinkedIn. It's where I spend the most time. And of course, the site is a great place as well. Excellent. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom once again with our audience. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Great being back. Lisa always shares great insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what you can use and apply to your business right away. One, there isn't just one profile that is an indicator of a good or bad sales professional. Rather, it's knowing your strengths that allows you to better manage yourself and others. Two, depending on your dominant strengths, Sometimes the difference between it being a strength or liability is the coaching to refine that skill. In my case, it could be the subtle difference between celebrating quietly or taunting others. And finally, if you want to think of your own strengths and and uncover those, create a two-column chart labeled fuels on one side and drains on the other. Track it for a week and you'll have great insight. And of course, reach out to Lisa with any questions. She's very generous with her time. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.